talk to you this morning about how to handle regret, all right? Now, with that, everybody should sort of perk up, right? Like, oh, regret, I have those, right? Sometimes we have to address things from stages that don't apply to certain groups of people. So if I was talking about parenting and you don't have kids, then that's sort of like, okay, whatever. But regret? Regret's the one thing that should unite us all. Like, yes, yes, like no matter where you come from, whether you're an introvert, an extrovert, like, like whether you're the life of the party, like you're a party waiting to happen, or whether you're, this is the first time you've left your house since Netflix was introduced to Australia, right? You're like, no, 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 regrets, re- regrets, I have those. I, I, I've, I've got those. Th- these, are, these are the things in your life that you just hope never end up on Facebook, right? These, these are the things in your life that if you, if you had a do-over, you would take the do-over, but you don't have a do-over. Uh, but yet people treat you like you have a do-over. Like, like people act like, oh, Oh, if you, you know, you should have known better. Well, yeah, I should have. And if I had a do-over, I would, but I don't have a do-over. What, what do you do with that? I, I'm talking about the things in our life that when we meet a new group of people, we wrestle with how much of our story to tell them because it's none of their business. But if they find out about it, they might think I was dishonest about it. And so where do I wrestle with the tension of how much of my past to tell somebody when I meet them new? I'm talking about that and what we're going to find is is how we handle regret and more specifically how we handle other people's regrets are incredibly important to living a whole sort of life to having a regular ritual by which we set aside to where we let it go for ourselves but then we must also let it go for them you can't want mercy for yourself and then justice for everybody else doesn't work that way right if god's letting it go for you then god's letting it go for them now Thank goodness we don't live in ancient Sumerian culture because they've been asking this question for thousands of years as well. And in ancient Sumerian culture, they told you you could handle your regrets by cutting yourself. So you would just cut until it was right. The problem was they didn't know how many cuts to do. So if I say you could get right with God by cutting yourself and you say how many cuts and I go, I don't know. And so what's the problem with that? The problem is, is what if you do 10 cuts, but the magic number is 11 and you still go to bed wondering, have I done enough? To make the regret right. In some sects of ancient Sumerian culture, they actually sacrificed their children. Thank goodness we don't live then. One monk from the 1500s wrote in his journal, I prayed on my knees on stone floors until they bled. Which leads to all kinds of questions like, what kind of God would delight in you putting pain on yourself to make something right? But the point is, is that we've all wrestled with what do I do with our regret? And what I found was, was that one of the more ancient answers might still be the best answer. And in Leviticus 16, this is what happens. God says, let's put a day aside every year, and that day is called Yom Kippur. Let's put a day aside every year, and on that day, everybody gets a clean slate, everybody gets a fresh start, everybody gets a second chance, everybody gets a do-over, everybody gets the opportunity to write a better story. If I could use a bucket as an illustration. On this day, what we're going to do is we're going to take everybody's regrets and we're going to put them in a bucket, the things you failed with. We're going to put them in a bucket and we're going to bring them on this day and we're going to give everybody the gift of a bucket empty so that next year you get a fresh start, a clean slate, a second chance, opportunity to write a better story. The, uh, The idea is, at its most elemental level, you can't carry this year's regrets into next year. Because next year we'll have its own set of regrets. And so if we don't regularly give ourselves a second chance, a fresh start, and a clean slate, we'll end up with two buckets. And if we don't handle it then, we'll end up with three buckets. And then if we don't handle it then, we'd have to consolidate it into a barrel. And before you know it, it could take a crane to pick up your life. It's just that heavy. 
And so what they did in Leviticus, let me repeat that, in Leviticus, one more time, all the way back in Leviticus, they gave people, the, the idea is that God would never hold something against somebody past a year. God would never hold anything against somebody past a year. Now, a later writer said his mercy is actually new every morning. And then Jesus said, well, if you want to know what I'm actually like, I forgive 70 times 7 for the same sin in the same day. So if you can't go with Jesus, at least go back to forgiving yourself and others once a day. And if you can't do that, at least go back to forgiving yourself and others once a year. And if your concept of God is meaner than Leviticus, change, right? It's time to move forward. Any concept of God where we, we see God as able to hold something against somebody past a year, that's a meaner concept than Leviticus. And here's the problem with that. As the great G.K. Beale said, we become what we worship. So if we think God holds things against people forever, we will justify holding things against people forever. And that is bad. Why? Because at some point we'll mess up and we'll hold it against ourselves forever, right? And so I want to look at this day. And my goal is a fewfold. One, obviously I want Jesus to get bigger. I want the cross to work better. The resurrection to be central scriptures to get bigger, not smaller. I want to empower us today about how to handle regret, namely your regret. But I also want to empower us on how to handle their regret. I want the cross and the finished work of Jesus to, to come alive inside of us. I want to show us how what the gospel writers did was they used something the Jewish people knew, namely Yom Kippur, to exacerbate and show what Jesus actually meant for the world. Oh, and by the way, today is Yom Kippur. And I don't mean that metaphorically, like in a spiritual sense, today is Yom Kippur. No, no, no. I mean, literally, today is that day, right? And so what a day to talk about this sort of principle, right? So this is Leviticus 16. If you could bring that first slide up for me. This is the account of that day. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord, and the other for the scapegoat. So this day centered around two goats, one goat for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. To be as elemental as I can be, essentially a priest would throw dice or cast lots for the two goats. One lot was going to be the goat for the Lord, and if, it's the, if you're the goat for the Lord, it's just going to be a bad day for you, okay? Um, and, but let's just be honest, if you're born a goat, it's just a bad day, period, right? Goat for the Lord. The other goat is translated in English, the scapegoat, right? But it's an odd word. L let me show you this. Next slide. So the day centered around two goats, the goat for the Lord and the goat for the scapegoat. Now, the word translated scapegoat is an odd Hebrew word. It's, it's very hard to translate. Matter of fact, in the Afrikaans Bible, they don't even translate it. They just say, Azazel. Some of the older English versions just translate it the same way, Azazel. We don't know what to do with it. The, the, the Hebrew word translated scapegoat there is Azazel, which means take him away. Now, that's odd. That's the reason they can't translate it into English that way. It, was, it would say this. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord, and the other for the take him away. That doesn't make much sense. So they translated it scapegoat. But the idea is, is that we're going to take something away. That idea is also in pop culture today in the Marvel comic series. In the Marvel comic series, the X-Men, one of the X-Men is named Azazel. And Azazel's power is to grab something and remove it, take it away. That's the idea. Azazel is take him 
away. It's also translated a weapon in the hand of the enemy. The idea is, is that whatever the enemy uses to beat us up, normally our own failure, we're going to remove it. We're going to take it out of his hand and we're going to remove it. So this day centered around two goats, one goat for the Lord and the other for Azazel. Now, Azazel is the most important word I'm going to teach you today. I promise it'll come back at the end, and I want us to learn it. So, with some good gusto, I want us to practice saying that word. It sounds like this, Azazel. All right, ready? Go. Azazel. One more time with a little bit more gusto than that. Ready? Go. Azazel. Now, Azazel means take him away. So, this day centers around two goats. One goat for the Lord. And the other for, what was his name again? Everybody together? Azazel. And Azazel means take him away. Now let's look at it. Next slide. Aaron shall bring the goat whose, whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it. It's going to be a bad day for that goat. So sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by lot as the Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the desert as the Azazel. In other words, we're going we're gonna to remove that goat. So here's what would happen. Two goats. One goat for the Lord, the other for Azazel. The idea is, is that the goat for the Lord is going to handle everything on the inside in private. But the goat for Azazel is going to show everybody in public what the goat had handled in private. It's, there's two goats. One goat in private and one goat out in front, the scapegoat for Azazel. Zazel, which, by the way, that's exactly how the gospel writers frame Christ. That everything Jesus needed to do for God was done before the foundation of the world. But since we wouldn't believe it without seeing it, he is now showing us by putting flesh on and showing us out in public what had already been done before the foundation of the world. Now, what I want to do is I want to walk through these two ceremonies with you. And I want to show you how the gospel writers framed the meaning of Christ around this day. Next slide. So first, the goat for the Lord. Now the goat for the Lord would be taken inside and tied to an altar. And it went through these five steps. The first step was called mala. Now, mala means to lay hands on something. Now, because we're Westerners and we read everything literally, when you tell a Westerner lay hands on something, here's what they picture. Right? And that's okay if that's what you do. I don't mind. But in Hebrew, malah was less about who you touched and more about what you imparted that was within your authority to impart. Like, let me give you an example. Did rabbis lay hands on sick people? Yes, they did. But did they touch them? No, they didn't. But did they lay hands on them? Yes, they did. But did they touch them? No, they didn't. But did they lay hands on them? Yes. But did they touch them? No. Think about that till lunch. Now, what would happen is, is you had the authority to impart something over the top of somebody. That was malah. In this case, a priest had the authority to put all the regrets of the Israelites onto this goat. Now, this is where it gets a little interesting. When the priest malahed the goat, he would put all the, everybody got your bucket? Everybody got your bucket of regrets? All right, so we're going to put it on this goat. And when the priest did that, the Talmud says that the weight of the sins of Israel going onto the goat forced the priest to turn his head. So the imagery was this. Hold on a second. The gospel writers say this, that when the father put the sins of the whole world on Jesus at the cross, what did he do? He had to turn his head. I, I, in other words, is Yom Kippur happening right in front of us? Is this the day God just lets it all go? Is this the day 
that God gives us a clean slate, a fresh start, a second chance, and the opportunity to write a better story? Is this happening right in front of us? Now, now the next part of the ceremony was called the press. Here's what would happen. The priest would put the sins on the goat. Then he would reach around the goat and squeeze the goat. The idea is we really, 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 really need to get the sins in the goat, right? So he'd reach around and he'd squeeze the goat, and the goat would, eh, it would, it would, it would belt out, right? Now, here's the play on words. The play on words is in Hebrew, the word for press is Gethsemane, right? That means to press. Hang on a second. Remember the gospel writer said that as a part of this process, Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane. And remember his prayer? He said, Father, I'm pressed with the sins of the whole world. So it's just the gospel writer's way of saying, you know that Yom Kippur thing we do every year? It, it's happening right in front of us. This is the day God just lets it all go. This is the day of fresh starts, second chances, clean slates, and opportunities to write a better story. The, the next part of the ceremony was called, It is Finished. At exactly the ninth hour, the priest would proclaim in a loud voice, It is finished. Why? Because everybody else is outside. So he's telling the people outside where they are in the, t in, in the ceremony. It is finished. And he would grab the goat's throat and he would cut it. And he would catch the goat's blood in this cone-shaped cylinder. And he would walk from the altar to the Holy of Holies, swishing the blood in order to keep it alive, to keep it congealed. And then he would walk into the Holy of Holies, and he would sprinkle the blood on the altar seven times, the whole time saying this, Don't touch me, don't touch me, I have not yet offered the blood of the sacrifice. Don't touch me, don't touch me, I have not yet offered the blood of the sacrifice. Hang on a second, think about your gospel stories. At exactly the ninth hour, Jesus proclaims in a loud voice, It is finished. Several days later, he runs into some women in a garden, and he doesn't even say hello. He says, what? Don't touch me. Don't touch me. I have not yet ascended. In, in other words, this is Yom Kippur language. This is the gospel writers going, hey, you know that thing we do every year where God just lets it all go? I think it just happened in front of us, but not just for us. On some cosmic level, God just gave the whole world a fresh start, a second chance, and an opportunity to write a better story. New creation just bursted forth right in the middle of this one, and that would be called good news. Now, after the priest offers the blood, he would then come out and wash his hands. Why? Because he's bloody. He's nasty. He's just killed an animal. He'd wash his hands, and then he would have to present his hands for inspection. His hands had to be inspected to make sure he still had flesh on. In other words, did you survive that thing? Because if you went into the Holy of Holies and survived, it was thought of that God accepted it. Okay, that, that proves it. God accepted it. You're not a ghost. You have flesh and blood on. You survived it. Think about your gospel stories. It says, after all these things, Jesus went into an upper room with witnesses, and he presented his hands to be inspected. And remember what he says? Is it not I? I am not a ghost. If I need to prove that I'm not a ghost, give me something to eat. It won't fall through, which is an incredible, incredible bar trick, right? He's like, hey, you don't believe it? Give me something to eat. I'll eat it. It won't fall through. Here we go. Hey, you saw me die? Here we go. This is me. This is my hands. My hands have been presented to you. This is just a gospel writer's way of going, hey, you know that day every year that God just lets it all go? It just happened right in front of us on a much more cosmic scale than we can possibly imagine. But this day doesn't just center around one goat. It centers around two goats. One goat for the Lord. And the other was, what was his name? With a whole lot of gusto. Everybody together, let's try it. Azazel. Let's try that again with more gusto. Ready? Go. Azazel. Azazel means 
take him away. Take him away. Next slide. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting, and the altar, he should then bring forward the live goat. That's Azazel. And he is to lay hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites. All their sins. Now, I went and looked that word up in Hebrew, and the word all there is actually all. Because all says all. And all means all. So let's leave all all. Because if we ever make exceptions to the word all, we might run the risk of our sin not counting in all. So when all says all, let's leave it all. Because all might be fun to make exceptions to if it's not your sin, but when your sin is the exception to all, it becomes a problem. So when all says all, let's leave it all. Because all is better if we leave it all, so let's leave all all. Can we all agree? But Shane, they're an addict. I know. All. But Shane, he left his wife for another woman. I know. He'll probably regret that. Oh. But Shane, he's a homosexual. I know. I know. Oh. Whatever failure you're thinking of, if you're wondering, I wonder if my failure counts on this day. Here's my only question. Does your failure fit into the category of all? <laughs> and if your failure fits in the category of all, then it fits. And anybody that tries to make exceptions to all, don't fight with them. Just realize one day they'll do something that might be the exception that they made to all. But God's not making exceptions to all because all means all. All right. And put them on the goat's head. He, he, so they're going to put the sins on the goat's head. Everybody's bucket of regrets. We're going to put it on this goat's head, right? He shall then send the goat away. There's that take him away. In the desert, in the care of the man appointed to the task. So you've got to put somebody in charge of the Azazel. And his job is to lead him away. Keep going. Next slide. The goat will carry on itself all of their sins to a solitary place. And the man will release it into the desert. The man who releases the goat as the Azazel must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterwards, he may come into the count. So, this day centered around two goats. One goat for the Lord and the other for Azazel, which means take him away. Here's the ceremony for Azazel. Next slide. So you basically you had a terrified goat standing in front of hundreds of thousands of people. He knows what just happened to his friend inside, and he doesn't know what they're going to do to him. He's scared. The priest would take all the sins of the Israelites and place it on this goat's head with malah. They would then attach it to the goat's head physically. They would take a scarlet woolen thread, a red cord, and they would wrap it around the goat's head. Why? Because ritual and visual images help people get what's going on, right? It's sort of like if you've ever been to youth camp and you nailed your sin to a cross. Like, it's not like that literally does anything, but it helps you understand what was actually happening. So they would take a red cord and they would wrap it around the goat's head. And the priest would say, behold, Israel, your sin. And he would step back and present the goat with red wrapping on his head. Hang on a second. The gospel writer said that as a part of Jesus' trial, Pilate had his head wrapped in thorns, and he presented him to the Jewish crowd with his head wrapped in thorns and said, Behold your king. Hang on a second. If you wrap someone's head with thorns, what color does the wrapping become? Red. So as part of the gospel story is you have Jesus standing in front of a Jewish crowd with red wrapping wrapped around his head. The imagery is obvious. This is the gospel writers going, Hey, you know that thing we do every year where we just let it go? Clean slates, fresh start, second chances, opportunity to write a better story. It's happening right in front of us right now. 
At that point, they would march the goat through the crowd. Remember, no, no microphones, no PA. You just had to shout. The, the priest would march the goat through the crowd and say, Behold, Israel, your sin is being removed from you as far as the east is from the west. Behold, Israel, your sin is being removed from you as far as the east is from the west. And then what they would do is they would hand the goat into the care of a man appointed to the task, and his job was to remove the goat. The priest would then cut a piece of the red cord, and he would hang it from the temple door. Now, the guy would then take the goat out into the desert. I've been to Jerusalem. I've seen where they do this. It is far. You cannot believe how far they march this goat. Why? Because if you want your sins removed, you want it far. That's the idea. Now, here's the problem with that. The problem with that is on Yom Kippur, it's the only time in the whole of the Bible that the command is Shabbat Shabbaton, absolutely no work. In other words, on this day, you were forbidden from doing anything. And here's the reason why. Because if you forbid people from doing anything, then no one could ever claim it's because of something they did that their sins were forgiven. And here's why that's important. As soon as we do a ritual and we think the ritual saves us, or we think the ritual forgives us, we could create an ethos where people who've done this ritual are forgiven, and people who haven't done this ritual aren't. And people who've done this are in, and people who haven't done this are out. And people who've done this are clean, and people who haven't done this are unclean. And if we ever do that, we actually put more faith in our made-up rituals than we do in what God was just doing before the foundation of the world. So in Leviticus, they weren't allowed to do anything lest anybody would claim that something they did is the reason God forgave them that day. All right? That was a powerful thing. So, but when, you, when you've got an hour-long thing where they're marching a goat out and you're not allowed to do anything. So what they started doing is instead of taking all the time to march it out, they just started marching it to the nearest cliff and throwing them off, right? The reason for that is it was easier. Secondly, is <laughs> the Mishnah says that there was one Yom Kippur where four days later the goat found its way back home, Right? And so you got, you got all your sins are returning. You know, you got, this, you got this loaded goat, right? And so they wanted to make sure that that never happened again. And actually, that idea made its way into English metaphors. Like, think about it when you were a kid. If you did something really stupid and your friends were taking the mickey out of you, right? Your grandmother might have said, hey, don't let them get your goat. Don't let them get your goat. The etymology of the phrase, don't let them get your goat, is when somebody brings up your failure in a way, to embarrass you, which leads me to this. If the goal of Yom Kippur and the finished work of Christ is to be goat removers, then the church of Jesus Christ can never be the goat bringers, right? Like, Presence Church should be the place of fresh starts, second chances, clean slates, opportunities to write a better story. No matter where you came from, you get an opportunity to write a better story here. We should never be the people bringing up people's failures. We should be the people reminding them that their goat has been removed. That's the idea. So the next time somebody brings up your failure, don't deny it. Just say, yeah, you're right, that happened. But you know what the problem is? I just don't see my goat anywhere. My goat is not around. That's the idea. You, you, you'll confuse them and they'll leave you alone. They'll think you'll... But, but, but it works, right? The idea is, is that we don't want to be the weapon in the hand of the enemy that God is trying to remove, correct? Right? We want to be the people reminding people your goat has been removed, not we're the ones bringing your failure up. Now, here's what would happen. The people weren't allowed to do anything because you never want to be able to claim that it's your ritual that forgives you. That would be terrible. If we ever presented the gospel that sounds like this, perform the ritual we made up and God will forgive you. 
That would be horrendous, right? So these people weren't allowed to do anything. There's a red cord hanging from the temple door. And here's how you knew when it worked. The Talmud says that every year on this day, the same miracle happens on the same day. And that is, at some point, when that goat had been removed, the red cord would turn white. And that's the only way people knew the goat was finished being removed is when that red cord turned white. It was like this sign from heaven that says, hey, it worked. Your bucket empty, fresh start, second chances, clean slates, opportunity to write a, a, a better story. Here's the problem. You weren't allowed to do anything, right? Now, could you imagine several hundred thousand people standing there, and they witnessed, the people in the front row witnessed the miracle first, and then they would, what would have happened? Buzz, 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 buzz. It would spread not quite as fast as Twitter, but it would go, right? It would go, right? But you weren't allowed to do anything. There would have been this buzz. And you're, but the problem is, is you're literally not allowed to do anything. No singing, no. That's doing something. No clapping, no. You might then create a theology that your clapping did something. No, no. No singing, no clapping, no yelling out, nothing. God is doing it by grace, and that is it, because he's nice. And your job is to connect with what God is doing, right? So here's what would happen. Is the priest, they'd set up a big chair in front of everybody. And when the priest noticed that the red cord had turned white, Yom Kippur ended with one movement. He would notice the red cord had turned white. He would turn to the people. He would back up to the chair. And he would simply sit down. And when the priest sat down, it was the indication to the people that it was all done. Fresh starts, second chances, clean slates, opportunity to write a better story. And at that point, Yom Kippur was over. Which means what? They were allowed to do something. So the question is, at that point, what did they do? I'm trying to think of the Hebrew word for this, but it translates something like this. They went nuts. <laughs> Why? Because when you realize deep in your soul that your regrets are not being held against you for the next year, that is worth celebrating. And it was raucous, maniac celebration. Not, and this is so important, it wasn't celebration in order to get God to do something. It was celebration because of what God did. It wasn't, come on, three more songs and God might do something. No, that's witchcraft. It was, it was, come on, hey, God's done something. Let's connect with that and celebrate with it because that is worth celebrating. Th there's a guy that um, went to Yom Kippur and he wrote down his experience and it got written down um, and then it got translated way later in King James English, but I think you'll get it and it's very moving what this person's experience was in Yom Kippur. Here, here's what he says, next slide. He then fastened a scarlet woolen thread to the head of the goat for Azazel. And laying his hands upon it again, he recited the following confession of sin and prayer for forgiveness. O Lord, I've acted with iniquities, trespasses, and sins before you, I, my household, and the sons of Aaron, your holy ones. O Lord, forgive the iniquities, transgressions, and sins that I, my household, and Aaron's children, your holy people, committed before you. As it is written, keep going, as it is written in the law of Moses, your servant. For on this day, he will forgive you to cleanse you from all, 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 all your sins before the Lord, and you will be This is Yom Kippur. But wait a minute. I want to test your knowledge of something, okay? Everybody in here seen the Passion of the Christ? 
Everybody saw it, right? No one saw it twice, did you? You didn't watch a movie where they beat somebody half to death for two hours twice, right? That's a little weird. But like once, we all saw it. We were like, oh, man. Goodness me. Come on, Mel. Did you have to be that graphic with it? Of course, he probably dumbed it down from what it really was, right? It would have been whatever it was, awful, been awful. But, but, but whether you've seen Passion of Christ or not, it was in there. It was also in, uh, in, all, your, in all of our Passion plays, some of the older movies, right? And here's basically what happens. Pilate doesn't know what to do with Christ, but he knows he doesn't want to riot because it's Passover. It's a problem, right? So what does he do? He says, I am going to leave it up to you. What would you like me to do with him, right? And the Jewish crowd, they start chanting something famous. It's in all the plays and all the movies, so we all know what it says. What did they say? Everybody together. Crucify him. Yes, crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. We know that. Why? Because it's in all the movies and the plays. Problem is, that's not what they said. Let me show you what they said. Next slide. It was the day of preparation for Passover week about the sixth hour. Here's your king, Pilate says to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away. Take him away. Crucify him. Hang on a second. If a Jewish crowd is chanting, take him away, what word would they be saying? Azazel. 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 Is this the day God just lets it all go? But remember, Leviticus says you've got to put someone in charge of the Azazel. Remember, Jesus says to Pilate, you've been given charge over me, right? And it says after the person in charge of the Azazel is done, he must wash his hands. Next slide. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but instead an uproar was starting, he took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd. But wait a minute. There's more. Yom Kippur ends when a priest sits down. If you have a standing priest, there's still work to be done. But a sitting priest indicates there's nothing else left to be done. Next slide. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest has offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. In other words, the New Testament message is our priest is sitting, which leads me to this question. Have we ever presented the gospel in such a way that requires Jesus to stand back up? Have we ever said, you know what? Your work wasn't enough. We need people to do our ritual at our altar at our time so we can somehow religiously control their spiritual guilt framework. And you know what? We're going to need you to stand back up. You realize the only other time in the New Testament Jesus stands up is when? When they're stoning Stephen. When they're stoning Stephen, he's looking down going, if you're going back to that, then what I did was for nothing. I guess I'll stand back up. No, this, the New Testament story is our priest is sitting down, which leads to this question. Have you ever wondered, has, have I done enough to overcome the bad I've done? And if you've ever wondered, have I done enough to overcome the bad I've done? The answer is, that is an irrelevant question, because the finished work is enough. And the priest is sitting. Let's say it this way. Next slide. Here's First John. John is trying to explain the meaning of Christ to our world. And he uses Yom Kippur as the backdrop. Here's what he says. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Let's stop and talk about that for a second. The only appropriate response to the grace of God is to choose to live better. In other words, if someone gives you a clean slate, write a better story. If somebody gives you a second chance, take it. If you hit a golf shot into the water and your partner says, I was talking in your swing, take a mulligan, aim differently. If you fail a 
a test and the teacher says, you know what, you're better than that. I'm going to give you a do-over on that test. Write different answers. If you commit a crime and a clever lawyer gets you off from that crime on a technicality, change your life. Write a better story. Don't, in other words, don't show up every Yom Kippur with the same exact bucket of regrets. If you get a fresh bucket, change your life. Now, if you show up next year with the same bucket of regrets, does God still forgive you? Yes, he does, but your life will suck. You can be totally forgiving and your life suck. Why? Because sin has wages built into it. It's not about forgiveness. It's about using the grace of God, the fresh start, the second chance, the clean slate, the mulligan to write a better story. Dear children, I write these things to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does, I love that. Dear children, I hope you don't. But if you do, and you will. We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Oh, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of all Bible-believing Christians everywhere. No. He's not just defending the Father for you. You didn't think Jesus just died for you, did you? That would make us elitist and terrible. Actually, the good news is that Jesus isn't just defending us. He's defending everybody everywhere, even your cousin Earl, <laughs> his brother Randy, <laughs> even that child that's away right now. You say, yeah, but my child's away from God right now. I know, and I hope they change their life. But in the meantime, you can know that Jesus is defending your kid before the Father. Why? Is your kid in God's world? Yes. Is he breathing God's air? Yes. Is he held together by God's name? Yes. Then Jesus is defending him or he would die. As long as someone's breathing air, Jesus is defending them because he died for them. That would be good news. See, is Jesus defending us? Yes. Why? Because he's just defending the whole flipping world and we're just a part of it. Yeah. This would be good news. Now, how can we remember today? Great teachers can summarize things in a few sentences. So I'm going to give that a go. So if you phased out for any or for all of this, Here's the whole message in two minutes. Next slide. The hands have been washed. Whatever your failure is, the good news is better than that failure. The good news is that your hands, the hands have been washed. Let's say it this way. Next slide. The cord has turned white. You say, yeah, but I keep going back to that drug. I just can't stop. I know. Dear children, please stop that. Change your life. Do so. Write a better story. There's a better outcome for your life than that drug has for you but the good news is better than that failure the good news is the cord has turned white it is very difficult for someone to change their life if they're constantly fighting the internal belief that god has something against them the good news is that god has nothing against you and he is offering you the opportunity to change your life because the good news is better than the failure let's let's say it this way next slide the priest has sat down that there is nothing you could do to overcome the bad that we've done and that's good news why because it was all taken care of. There's nothing else left to do. But, but perhaps the best way to remember today is essentially this. Next slide. The goat has left the building. <laughs> Azazelvis has left the building. You say, Shane, you don't understand. I went through a divorce. I know. I know. I wish you wouldn't have, but since it happened, 
The good news is better than that. The good news of your story is that your goat has left the building. But Shane, it was my fault. I know. I know. But it does you no good living in that regret. All that was seven years ago. Let it go. Let it go. The good news is better than that. Write a better story for your life. The goat has left the building. But Shane, it was this crime. You don't understand. I know. I know. I wish you wouldn't have. But since you did, you can know Jesus is defending you. And the good news is better than your failure. Your goat has left the building. So, my brothers and sisters, may we live on a more profound level than regret in the past. And may we handle it properly for us and for them. That's the beauty of this day. God lets the goat go for you. God lets the goat go for them. You say, Shane, but they're wrong about God. Yeah, I know. All of us are wrong about God. Are you kidding me right now? If the goat leaves for you, then the goat leaves for them. You can't want mercy for yourself and injustice for everybody else. It doesn't work that way. May we be people who live with fresh buckets, clean slates, fresh starts, second chances, and the opportunity to write a better story. And may we give that grace to the ones who hurt us. And when we do that, who knows, we might actually be successful in showing the love of Christ to the world. So may the guilt, the fear, the shame, and the pain, may you never carry it one more day. May you release your bucket by releasing their bucket and understand that the cord has turned white, the hand has been washed, the priest has most definitely sat down. And more than anything, more than anything at all, may each of you leave today with a revelation deep in your soul that your goat has left the building. Until I see you next time, grace and peace, everybody.